Welcome to Divorce TV News and our show tonight we have, or depending on where you're looking from, it might be daytime for you. We've got Kai Graham of Peak Parenting as our expert. We've got a shared story with Susan Cowmiller and a healing with Una Archer, who's also a child psychologist. So we're very parent focused this week. And uh, but first we're going to move ahead with the news. This one uh, isn't actually from a newspaper, it's from LinkedIn and with the uh, permission of Mary Raymond, who's a family mediator, I asked if I could share her post because I thought it was uh, something we should all be aware of because she raises a really good point. She says here that CAFCAS is reporting a 38% increase in private family law cases, uh, typically applications made during or following family separation in March 2021. This is compared to March 2020. Surely, she says, is this is the opposite direction of travel to where we want to be heading. Behind every private law application is an unresolved family dispute affecting children's lives. CAFCAS reports receiving 4,659 new private law cases in March 2021. That's 38% or 1,282 cases more than the same month last year when there were only 3,377 new applications. And she asked three questions. She said, can this be blamed on the pandemic? What do you think? Feel free to, to leave your comments in the, in the um, comment section. Question number two was, will the new FMC voucher scheme impact this trend? And that's about the uh, Governments are allowing, I think it's 2,000 lucky people will get um, a £500 voucher for mediation. So do we think that encouraging mediation, that could really help? And the last question was, does this increase reflect the stress of our families are feeling at this time? She says, looking at the total private law cases in March of previous years, the figure for 2019 was 4067 still significantly less than now so why is it getting so out of hand last month alone she says 6627 6, children became the subject of new private law children applications surely now more than ever we need to be using alternatives to the court process such as mediation obviously i completely agree with that but because i'm not a mediator or lawyer Perhaps I'm in a position to be a little bit more blunt. So what I'm saying is, you know, for too many lawyers are not fully supporting dispute resolution. That's still happening. And there's a really good reason for that, I believe. The financial business model makes that very understandable. I mean, if you're going to make double the money going to court then, then, and your, then your client's using dispute resolution, then you're, it's always going to be an issue, isn't it? And we have to, to stop ignoring that and deal with it. And so my suggestion suggestion is that how about the family courts give some of the money that they're going to save with more people using mediation to the mediators and law firms who keep their clients out of court. Perhaps we can find a way to incentivize financially. And I really do think we need to have a much more forthright creative approach because it's children's lives that we're talking about here. Moving on to the Mail Online. We have, they have an exclusive. Dr. Dre is ordered to pay $500,000 to estranged wife Nicole Young's divorce lawyers. 
but it's only a small portion of the $5 million she's demanding from the billionaire hip-hop mogul, because that's how much she spent on her legal fees. Now, Nicole Young, 51, had asked Los Angeles judge Michael Powell to force her wealthy, soon-to-be ex-husband to pay her $2 million per month in spousal support, plus $5 million for her attorney fees. But at a hearing in downtown LA, LA Superior Court Judge Powell ordered 56-year-old Dre to pay her lawyers just $500,000 within 10 days. The judge tabled the support issue till another hearing on July the 8th. So, in a way, Dr. Dre has scored a bit of a victory in court against his estranged wife, according to the Mail. The hearing was also an introduction to the court of Dr. Dre's new attorney, Joe Manis, who was hired by the music tycoon to replace renowned Hollywood celebrity divorce lawyer Laura Wasser. Wasser. Dr. Dre's real name is Andre Young. He's reportedly worth close to $1 billion and his split with Nicole has been growing more and more hostile since she filed for divorce last June. Last week, Judge Powell, I love their terminology, kicked Wassa and Dre's personal lawyer, Howard King, off his legal team over a conflict of interest. They didn't do anything wrong. King had represented both Dre and Nicole during their marriage and Wassa was vicariously disqualified because she was working with King. Beverly Hills-based Manis is also considered a heavyweight among Hollywood divorce attorneys with his partner Neil Hirsch. His celebrity clients have included Angelina Jolie, Halle Berry and Tim Burton. Dailymail.com revealed that Nicole filed court documents accusing Dre of violent and emotional abuse during their 24-year marriage. He held a gun to her head, allegedly, punched her in the face and slammed her against a wall, lifting her off her feet by her neck, she declared. Shortly after her scathing declaration to the court, Nicole's lawyers huddled with Dr. Dre's lawyers and the end result that was that Dre, reportedly still in his hospital bed after suffering a brain aneurysm, signed an agreement to pay Nicole a lump sum of $2 million in temporary support. Uh, this is, I guess, not the stress he needs right now. Dre has been paying Nicole $293,000 a month in support, but she's asking the court to order him to pay her almost $2 million a month plus the $5 million in fees to attorneys, Samantha Spector and Lisa Mayer. So my question is, uh, California lawyers, uh, can you please explain to me how spousal abuse um, affects spousal interim payments and legal costs? I wasn't aware that it had anything to do with it. So maybe it's different in, uh, in LA. So if you want to either comment or come on the show and explain how that works, that will be great. Or is it simply just an opportunity to have a go at your ex and, and humiliate and embarrass them, um, possibly rightly. I'm not judging it. Uh, I'm just interested to know whether it's got anything to do with actually the financial case at hand. And finally, Jana Kramer and Mike Corsin obtained a temporary restraining order amid divorce to prevent them from making disparaging remarks about each other in front of their kids. Now, this is very interesting. Just a week after the One Tree Hill star 37 announced the end of her nearly six-year marriage over Instagram, it's emerged the order was issued by a Tennessee court on April the 23rd. The temporary document means they are prohibited from harassing, threatening, assaulting or abusing the other spouse, as well as banning the making of disparaging remarks about the other to their children or their employers. It was shared in court documents obtained by E! News. 
I bet Dr. Dre wishes he had that order in place. The order means neither Jana nor Mike can take their children, Jolly, five, or two-year-old Jace out of Tennessee or more than 50 miles from home without the approval of the court. Neither party is allowed to borrow, transfer or conceal any shared property without permission or hide or destroy evidence on computer hard drives or other devices. Don't you think that should be the case automatically? Why would you need a court order to do that? Um, again, I do, don't understand why some of these things aren't just there and you shouldn't have to go to court to get them in place. However, the order insisted they can maintain the marital standard of living, though they need to keep notes of any expenses. News of the order comes a few days after it was revealed the 37-year-old singer had sought a divorce from the athlete due to inappropriate marital contact, conduct, irre irreconcilable differences and adultery. The former couple have a post-nuptial agreement and Jana is seeking custody of the children as well as having Mike pay alimony and her legal costs. In 2016, the 34-year-old ex-footballer Michael Sin entered a treatment centre for two months for sex addiction after repeatedly cheating on his wife. Mike previously said in 2019, Jana kind of gave me an ultimatum when everything came out. She discovered everything and she looked at me and said, you need to go somewhere. Basically, you need to figure out what's going on and what this is or I'm gone, period. Their official date of separation is listed as April the 20th, one day before she revealed the split with a sombre Instagram post amid more infidelity accusations against the former professional football player. As I try to make sense of a reality I never wanted to believe could be possible again, those words have now become a reality, she told her social media followers. I've fought y'all, I've loved hard, I've forgiven, I've put the work in, I've given everything I have and now I have nothing else to give. It's time. Jana was left distraught over their split, but has no plans to reconcile, as she's, the paper says she's through with his cheating ways. Their kids are still pretty young and wouldn't fully understand if they told them they're separating. So they want to make sure their kids are raised as normal as possible, despite their parents no longer living together, the article reports. Well, let's wish them much luck with that. We're now going to have, uh, conven conveniently, not just a guest, but a guest who is a parenting expert. Hello and welcome to Kai. And uh, tell us a little bit more about what, what does peak parenting mean? What do you do? Um, Peak pet. Well, um, peak parenting is is well. It, it's the umbrella that I work under, Susie. Um, I, I am a one man band. I am a parent and teen troubleshooter, a mentor, and um, it's really my mission at the minute to support parents so that they can help their kids. And what what I'm looking for is to help our parents and teenagers to build a mentally healthier and happier generation of young people. Because you were talking about statistics there and I can see through all the work that I do is that the mental health statistics for our teenagers specifically are just on the increase. And um, I am here to support my clients and to support my audience so that we can, yeah, just have Changing. happier, healthy kids. And is it true mm. that, mm. Uh, I don't know about the US, but in the UK, I heard that the most common form of death for a young person in the UK was themselves, that, that it was suicide. 
yeah yeah and um uh, on on the back of that i have linked up with um the teen well the, the not really the teen so the youth suicide charity papyrus um because it they are sort of looking to try and reduce the suicide rate because um i i live in northern ireland and our rates over here are even higher than the rest of the uk and it's troubling and um we need to support the kids and do the very best that we can for them. So yeah, it's, it's hard, it's, but it's it's more than troubling. It's terrifying if you think that our children yeah, are killing is. themselves. <laughs> Something's gone exactly. funder. And um, you know, and how much can you do in your role as as a as a parenting expert when you know when obviously there's going to be so much you know society. It's not just going to be the parenting that's resulting in this. It, it, it's it's hard and I, I think the thing is is realize or helping our young people to realize that actually the way they're feeling at the minute is temporary it, it now it might feel like a very long time and maybe sometimes their um, challenges and what they're going through it you know has been going on for a long time but suicide is is a permanent solution to a temporary situation um, and it's yeah it, it's trying to give them the space to find the support that they're looking for and and yeah it's a real challenge and, and one of the things that can make parents feel suicidal is when they um when their children reject them and of course that's uh, in the divorce world and co-parenting world is becoming better known as parental alienation yep. have you had any experience of that with clients yeah, I have. Um, and do, do you know what? Particularly at the minute, it's really hard. Um, in the UK, we're sort of slowly coming out of lockdown. But um, I had a client um, who the, the, the mum has sort of had sole custody of her young boy. Um, and he was 17 at the time. And for whatever reason, and I, I still don't think she found out, he just decided literally the week before lockdown, I'm going to move in with dad. And he just blacklisted mum, he blackballed her and wouldn't speak to her, wouldn't take any of her calls. And she was left with lockdown, unable to contact her son um, and unable to sort of communicate with him and and because of the the, the rules that, that were going on at the time this was march last year she had a, an apps a really a sort of horrific time because she couldn't actually just sort of you know go knock on the door and go come on let's have a chat because that's mm. she wasn't allowed so I, I you're quite right and and especially those parents that have have been extremely involved in their kids childhood up to a certain point to then suddenly have the rug snatched from under them is it is terrifying actually it's i mean you know for many parents as you say um this mum um i wouldn't go so far as to say she was suicidal but she was really really struggling and so we actually because we were unable to contact her son it was trying to help her build herself back up again which was no mean feat and how do you, so do you spend a lot of time with helping parents communicate with teenagers which any of us who've ever had teenagers know is not an easy thing to do um that's a speciality in itself so 
perhaps perhaps it would be yeah. good to share some some uh, experiences and also some tips because I'm sure there'll be lots of people listening. Thank you. I, Come I, on, I've give us one give us a hand exercise. I, I have. I've I've got a one one exercise which is absolute gold because it's hard, isn't it? The one minute you're sort of happy go lucky child sort of who, who sort of sits on your knee and tells you all about whatever's going on suddenly turns into well just uh, in my day it was Kevin and Perry. Do you remember them? And <laughs> and they just don't communicate. It's eye rolling and door slamming and you don't get me. So yeah, I've got an exercise and it's called three questions. And it's actually teaching parents how to communicate with their kids better by saying less, go figure. So it's a matter of asking, it does what it says on the tin, it's, it's three questions. So the first question is, what's your number? And actually just the proviso here is you need to tell your child that this is what's going to happen because otherwise they'll go, what are you talking about? Oh God. So it's, it's what is your number? And it's really asking your child on a scale of one to 10, how are you feeling? One being suicidal and 10, no, I'm fine. Thanks. Absolutely. Skipping through the tulips, having a great time. You can leave me alone. So you'll, you'll sort of get a, a fair benchmark of what's going on. I do actually also give an, another stipulation, only use this once a day, otherwise it starts sort of losing its, its impact. <laughs> so there's your first question is, what's your number? Your second question is, what's your word? And that is a describing word for how your child is feeling today, right here, right now. Um, it's great actually, because it starts teaching your child all about their own emotional vocabulary. So, you know, they'll sort of pro probably sort of go angry and you go, oh, right, is that the same angry as yesterday? Oh, no, 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 I was angry because my teacher said X, Y, and Z yesterday. No, this is a different angry because my friend let me down. Oh, right, so it's more betrayed. So it helps our kids to yeah, understand what's going on for them and they can start verbalizing because sometimes they haven't a blimmin' clue. You know, there's so many hormones going on. There's, you know, as it, sort of parents might be separated. There's a sort of, they're caught in the middle. They don't know what to do. And so invariably it's, well, I haven't a clue. So giving them this sort of tool helps themselves as well. Um, and then the third question, which is sort of, this is quite hard for parents is, do you want to talk? And 95% of the time you'll get no. No, you're all right, thanks. No, I mean, I just my, hear, I can hear my son going, no, you're all right, no, you're all right. And 95% of the time that happens. And the rule but, is you have to back you, off. But you've asked, you've asked, and that's what's and, important, isn't it? But what, like you say, the, then shut up. That would be the hard part. Precisely. <laughs> what this is basically saying is I've got your back. Um, mm. and it's giving your child the opportunity to talk on the very rare occasion where they do say, yeah, all right, don't jump on them and go, I knew there was something wrong. You know, just just keep keep your cool <laughs> and just to say, okay, it's now a good time to talk because we know what teenagers like. They don't like sitting across the kitchen table. It, it feels like the Spanish Inquisition. So it might be, why don't we take the dog for a walk? Or shall we go for a drive? Or do you want to get your head sorted and come back to me later? And so that gives our kids the opportunity to gain the control back because we know that teenagers want to be independent. They And especially during lockdown when they're sort of either, you know, sort of stuck under the same roof as you, they just want to get away. So this gives them the opportunity to have a conversation on their terms. 
And so many parents have sort of said to me, my God, my child's not staying in his room any longer. And I'm going, I know, because they know that you, that you can't bug them. They know that they are actually going to get peace and quiet because of the rules. So that is a fantastic way of just saying to your child inadvertently, I've got you. I want to support you, but only when you're ready. Because a lot of the kids feel as though they want control. They do. They feel isolated. They feel alienated. They might not even know what's going on up here anyway. And so sometimes it's just, it's, it's a gentle way of opening that door to say, when you're ready, I'm here. And the great thing also is that for parents, we now know what they were like yesterday, what they're like today, you know, are yeah. they on the way up or are they on the way down? So it's a real help for us to understand how they're faring at the minute. So it, yeah, it really helps. That's brilliant. I'm going to practice that. Even though mine are, uh, I'm go heading into young adults, it's not that dissimilar. <laughs> so no, no. I, I've got and a 27 I'm... year old and trying to have a conversation with him can be hard work as well so I hear you <laughs> so I'm gonna I'm gonna be practicing that oh, that was lovely thank thanks you guy and when um, um when you when it goes out on different platforms please put some links in give people some I more will, information I will can. put the links in absolutely thank that you be so lovely. much thank you so much lovely much to chat to you Susie Lovely, some really good tips there. I hope I'm not going to be the only one who's going to be trying to put those into uh, practice. So, a um, talking of children, we have the final part of the Ten Commandments. Um, this is all part of the um, masterclass, uh, which is in the app, Best Way to Divorce app. Calm seas around really around the co-parenting and it's carrying on from the the section on when we're obsessed with how victimized and attacked we feel we lose track of what is most important and one of the remedies that uh, we talked about is that your children can actually help stay you stay on track now that is not mean give them responsibility or um you know dump your stuff on them but i did uh, at one point ask my children to give me the 10 commandments uh, for if you're you know a co-parents give us some advice so they all three of them got together and um and i gave you the first five last week and i'm looking forward to sharing these with you and it was such it was so lovely to read them again and it probably still still rings true even now so number six is your old relationship may be dead but don't kill the new one you need a working relationship with your co-parent whether you like it or not obviously as we know when you're co-parenting often you do need to create a brand new relationship with that person because the old one wasn't working very well and and we have to have a relationship with our co-parent of some kind or another seven when you take a new partner keep us kids informed through the process don't just say here's your new dad or mum the last ones in the bin that was good advice eight you shall not steal my childhood be honest with me but that doesn't mean you can dump all your emotional baggage on me either nine you shall not bear false witness or lie but neither can you slag off our mother or father even out of earshot because we kids hear everything and finally number 10 appreciate what you have with us and don't compare it to what others have but now that I have two homes instead of one that means double the presents shopping trips and holidays okay and you can guess that they definitely won on that one 
So we're moving now into our shared story with Susan, Susan Calmilla, and uh, she's going to be sharing actually her own personal story here. And welcome to Susan. Hi, hello. And so tell us your shared story. Uh, I just like to say I liked the other five commandments. That was great. My shared story is how my first marriage ended with more than just divorce and uh, the effects that it can have. So I wasn't sure how to start sharing the story about how I became an emotional healer or a stress specialist because you see my husband died just as I was finally starting the divorce proceedings. So I've always acknowledged that I got let off the hook, let off the hook from a messy divorce. But later I realized that emotionally, the trauma, almost PTSD was, was just hiding behind the scenes. Stresses were compounded by all the story that went before, before he died, during the build-up on deciding to divorce and the effect of blocking or even acknowledging the stress after it. So much so that I realized and I wanted to write a book about it. So my husband died in 2003 and in 2012, I wrote my book, Survive and Thrive After Trauma. I wrote it to help others to know that their story, your story, that you're not alone. Divorce is often, I feel sure, it's often or always a very troublesome, difficult business. The book's in three parts, actually. It's autobiographical in part one, and I share our story in the first part. Then there's a variety of healings. It's not a book about EFT, so there's a variety of healings that people can use to help themselves. And the third part is offerings from others moving on from a big T trauma who share their golden nuggets and each one's different and, and we can get an insight from, from what worked for them. What Before worked I best for you? Sorry. So I was going to say, what worked best for you? Because you know, it, it, it's traumatic. So what were the tools that you used back then? I mean, they might be different to what you would use now, but what helped you the most back then? Back then, initially, in the 2003, 2004, I'm not sure I used any tools other than blocking, the, blocking what had happened at some form of level because I had a breath of fresh air. The build-up to the divorce was really grim and it was the last thing I wanted. I suspect it was the last thing my husband wanted, but it was so hopelessly unreasonable that eventually I just blocked off my feelings about our past 27 years and two children so that I could go start the divorce. And then there was a shocking shock and the circumstances of him dying which um, I explain it all in the book 
So how did I get through it? My children were very supportive. They were 15 and 17. Um, and I actually met my now second husband, or I'm not sure what, somebody said, you shouldn't call him your second husband, yes. Susan. Do you think you're going to go through them like a rate of knots? No, I don't, not for a minute. <laughs> but I realised that I needed something. And within a couple of years, I discovered, I started learning counselling and Reiki, which led to my EFT work, uh, the energy work and helping others, which in hindsight, I still was carrying my own stuff, you see. I was still carrying my own stuff. And um, you have to let know that you've got to let these things go and find means of letting huge traumas go. You have to work through the stresses. Um, and you, know, you use and you you've you've had I know you've had counselling training as as a counsellor, yes, but you tend yes. to use these these tools now with others. What what's uh, for people who are listening who are resonating with the sort of the trauma? What's mm. uh, what not dissing counselling in any way because it's a very useful mm. tool. Mm. But why mm. would people use other tools other than just go to see a counsellor? What's the biggest difference for you? Did you find in your own personal experience? Well, counselling, I'm, I'm almost a fully qualified counsellor, but I stopped before the last hurdle. I'd gone through several years of it, of learning. I discovered the energy medicine. I discovered that that um, I had a choice. I didn't need to just keep talking about it and regurgitating it because I knew the story inside out. That's what I realised. And when you're releasing the energy with EFT tapping, I mean, I'm a, I do the tapping here frequently. EFT tapping is a, a stunningly impressive modality to help remove suppressed trauma and blocked, blocked, blocked energy and negative activity, because it literally works fast. And it once it's removed at energetic level, then it's gone it's gone it's not easy when you've got big trauma you keep thinking i've got to i thought i had to hang on to it just a bit that's self-punishment i realized that pretty quickly but it's uh it's a remark eft tapping is the way i would go it's my first go-to tool and you can learn it easily to do as a quick fix or you can do your healing with someone like me over a period of time to get shot of it to stop holding you back. That's brilliant. Thank you so much for sharing that, Susan. And uh, look forward to seeing you on the show again soon. Thank you. A quick whiz. We're going to do uh, app roulette. All the different tiles here. I'm just going to point out today. Uh, yeah, best way to divorce dot online takes you straight there. It's free to download, and it's inter it's getting more international every day. And uh, so free support group there is a free support group in there if you look carefully and that's where there's, there's different articles i always post the show in there but it is a place that anyone who, who downloads the app if you just want to ask a question you don't have to cough up money or book a session just to just to ask you know get, get some initial guidance so i'm just keeping that open invitation to those but 
Uh, most people who want to really sort of more serious support, they join the Secret Divorce Group because that's, um, that's a great ongoing support system. But I wanted just people to know that the free support group is there. And coming up in June, um, over half full and growing, we've got the secret, uh, not the secret, the Don't Be Scared of the Divorce Finances, the Divorce Financial Workshop, which is a very, very good, especially if you want to understand all the different dispute resolution methodologies. It's, um, if I say so myself, better than a normal Miams. It's like a Miams with knobs on. And you've got financial experts, you've got legal experts, we've got um, obviously a mediator and a great gang of the, our divorce squad of coaches and healers. And welcome to Una who is going to, Una is um, a, your, is a child psychologist, is that right? Have I got that right? Uh, no, just a psychologist. Just a psychologist. And, uh, oh, and everybody's psychologist. You're not limited to children, <laughs> but you're also a parenting expert, I know, and you've had your own co-parenting experience, but you're very kindly doing, uh, you do some lovely meditations for us. But I know you wanted to explain, because you said people might not realise how, you know, how tied those two things are together. So I'm going to let you explain that to everybody. Oh, thank you, Susie. So, yes, as you say, in a minute, I'll guide you through a very brief meditation. But before that, I want to talk a little bit about why it is so important, because it might seem like it's this hippie, airy-fairy <laughs> stuff that has nothing to do with parenting. But the thing is, it's very difficult to connect with your children when you're not present in the moment. And I'll give you a very simple example of very common, everyday coping parenting situation imagine your child comes back home from the other parent and they say oh you know what my mom or dad lets me eat in the bedroom and in moments like that it's just so easy to get triggered and when we get triggered we just get lost in our old arguments trauma stories and we disconnect from what is happening right there in that moment and so what as getting triggered means to our connection with our children and I say our because it's just so universal as parents we I think deal with that every single day and even more so when we're parenting after separation so um, when we're triggered we are either overshoot or underreach and these are not technical terms by the way it's something I just came up myself through my observations so if this is me and this is my child and I'm triggered, if I go into that fight, flight, freeze state, if I go into a fight state, I tend to overshoot. I, my energy is going up, I'm rallying up to act. I might give a lecture to my child about something or my I might text my, uh, I might text my ex. But you know, really I'm missing what's happening there. If I go into a free state, then I would draw and underreach and kind of go into why do I have to deal with this? It's not fair, it's all too much. I'm just kind of leaving my child on their own with it in a sense. But when we have a regular practice, meditation, mindfulness, or yoga, anything like that, that helps us to develop that much closer relationship with our state it's much easier than in moments like that to catch 
okay, I'm triggered. I just need a few moments to calm down, find my more grounded, more present place and parent from that place. And when I'm parenting from that place, I can actually meet my child. I can say something like, well, sounds like we have different rules about eating in the bedroom in, you know, in two different houses. What's that like for you? And then really listen and hear them. You know, it might be an issue, but might not be an issue. So I love um, that phrase. I love that phrase. It's so different to what would normally come out of our mouths as a as a parent. Um, that's beautifully described. Um, I'm wondering if I'm still doing that even now. <laughs> so I'm sure this is true at any age. Um, funnily enough, I was just talking to my youngest earlier, and he and he was complaining about my parenting when I was young and not really being there. And I said, no, I wasn't present at all. I was just in a completely different space. I didn't have a clue what to do. So I'm learning it now through through uh, all these wonderful experts I get to speak to. That's lovely. That's lovely. So yes, carry on with the the so mm. the, the meditation side of things. Then is is actually critical isn't it well you know I would argue it's the foundation of us being able to be present and connect with our children and as you say Susie I think it's a journey of a lifetime you know it's not something that you just do it once and you're done with it and deepen and deepen and deepen so in a minute I will guide you through a very quick meditation it doesn't have to be long and if you resonate with what I'm talking about, I have a free nine minute guided relaxation available to download free from my website, parentingaftersepparation.co.uk. So if you want to have this tool, simply visit, visit my website, subscribe to seven tips to help children thrive after separation and it will be on its way to your inbox. And you will make it easy for people by actually putting the links in the comments, won't you, on the different platforms? Mm. Yes. So in a, in a few yes. hours' time, everybody, you'll be able to, to access that direct if you're lazy like me and you just want to go and click a link. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to click the next tile so we get the gentle background music. You've got, you know, you've got 10 minutes, so do, do as much of that 10 minutes as you, as you want, but don't, don't, you don't need to cut okay. it shorter. That would be lovely. Okay. So everyone, breathe and prepare for a lovely session. I invite you to start this practice by making yourself comfortable. Close your eyes if it feels safe to do so. And draw your attention to your body. Notice if you are comfortable and just have a wiggle or a shuffle, adjust how you're sitting so that your body can rest. And draw your focus to your breath notice the air coming in 
notice a short pause at the end of the inhale. Notice the air flowing out. There's no need to change anything or fix anything. Notice your breath, just natural flow of it. Notice how with each inhale and each exhale, how the rest of your body respond to that. Notice what else is happening in your body. There might be some active places or tight places, some heavy places, and places that feel calm and grounded. Again, there's no need to change it. Simply notice and be present with the sensations in your body. Notice what's it like to be in your body right now. attention to your heart, connect with the energy of your heart, to bring up an image of your child. If you have more than one, just choose one. Maybe the one that is kind of needs a bit more attention or it's harder to connect with at the moment. Stay present in your body as you do that. Notice 
what it feels like to be present in the presence of your child. How does it feel? As you are connecting with your child, think of things you appreciate about them, what is unique about them, their quirks, their essence. Notice what it feels like to remember those things about your child. Notice what happens in your body when you connect with the things you appreciate about your child. As we're coming towards the end of this practice, you might want to thank your child for coming to visit you and become aware of the whole of your body again. Take a few more comfortable breaths. your eyes closed. Allow your eyes to gently open and come back into the room. Oh, so I think a few people will be wanting to download those and listen to them. Even if you don't have children, you'll probably want to do that because they're so calming. Thank you so much, Una, and, uh, and, and particularly for coming on on such short notice as well. Much appreciated. And please do um, book yourself in for some more. It'd be lovely to have you back. And, and thank you also for explaining how important it is to have that groundedness that connection with yourself because how can we parent well if we're not even connected to ourselves we're not going to connect with our children and on that note in the war of divorce on the battlefield of family separation let's always make peace our weapon of choice <laughs>